Jesus, by that same spirit, would you open up our hearts and our minds to a new way of being together. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to all of you here in person. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online through the podcast. It's good to have you. We're in the middle of a series uh, called Grow. And uh, as I said in the last service, we've got a lot of really creative people uh, who work at this church, but that's, that's the best we could do, grow. So, um, but it's, it's, it's not especially clever, but it's, it's, it's very optically named because that's what we want is where we're moving toward growth. How do we actually do this stuff that we often talk about in church? How do we do that? How do we become more loving? How do we become more joyful? The, the things that we talk about that we want, like how do we get there? That's what this series is about. It's really helping us become all that God intends for us to be. All that God intends for us to be, but not just as individuals, though that's important. It's really as a community, as a community. In Western culture, we place a lot of emphasis on the individual. So it's almost impossible for us to get our minds around, our hearts around the kind of community that is actually talked about in Scripture. It's really hard to imagine. Very few of us have actually experienced it. Even if we've got some good friendships and, and a good small group maybe or things like that, that's still different from, uh, a bit different from what the Bible is talking about in terms of community. And not just because it's, it's stuff that's rooted in this Middle Eastern culture back in this first century, but, but more important than that because uh, God has always been in the business of making a people for himself. Making a people for himself, not just a bunch of individuals. It's not just me and Jesus, even though that's how I was raised. That's how many of us were raised. That's, that's very, that's like half the picture. He's making us a people. The kingdom of God, says Jesus, it's kind of like a wedding party. It's like a wedding party. There's just a bunch of people, friends, family gathered to celebrate. It's a party. Or it's like this feast where there's just this huge spread and everybody you love is there and it's this incredible experience. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's not just like me and Jesus, right? If it's just you and a big spread of food in front of you, that's not that, hmm. I mean, that has some validity, especially if you've got little ones like I do. Like, that sounds pretty good to have a little break and just eat a bunch of food by yourself. But the point obviously is here that, that life is much more meaningful, life is much more life if it's lived in community, if it's experienced together. In fact, there's just no way for us to be all that God wants us to be apart from community. And not just being near each other during the church service, that's an okay place to start, it's a good place to start, but transparent, intentional relationship with other Christ followers. One way of saying this is without that transparent, intentional uh, relationship with other Christ followers, there's no way for us to grow. There's no way for us to fully become the people that God intends for us to be if we don't have this peace. It is just as important. This is going to sound heretical, but it ain't. Um, it's just as important as Scripture. It's just as important as prayer. So much so, that, so that, that, that God is saving a people, not just individuals, for himself. They will know we are Christians by our love. By our love for one another is how we embody the good news of Jesus. So if we're not loving one another, which we all have a hard time doing, it's why so much of the gospel gets lost in translation. 
But the thing about growth and the thing that we're focusing on here, the growth is really not that confusing. It's not that mysterious of a process. It's, it can seem kind of hard, like, I want to be more joyful, I want to be more loving, uh, but how do I actually do that? How do I get there? Growth tends to always happen the same way, especially spiritual growth. And Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, he talks about it in terms of uh, this three letters, V-I-M, vision, intention, and means. In other words, growth starts with vision. I, I want this desired future state. I've got to have a vision of what that would be like. So, for example, if I'm, I want to learn to play the piano so I can sit in uh, like a little jazz club and just jam with these guys and just have so much fun in that space. But right now I can barely play chopsticks, okay? Ding, 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 ding. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. So vision really has to do with freedom of movement then. It's like I want to get to the place where I have a certain kind of, I have a certain freedom of movement that I don't have right now. So right now I'm having a hard time with chopsticks, but, but then after, after some discipline, after some practice, after some time goes by, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to do that and just sit down and have fun with it and, and play and play. So in that sense, vision is always tied to a greater freedom of movement. Our vision, the stuff that moves us, that drives us, that's the, the image of a greater freedom of movement. Now, many of us, because of how we grew up or, or uh, you know, just kind of where the church has missed it sometimes, we, we think about the gospel, also uh, a Dallas Willard phrase, the gospel of sin management, right? That's, that's kind of where we land. We practice the gospel of sin management. If we could just sin less, life is going to be great. Yeah, but that's not really the point. The point is not to just sin less. Or the point is not just to do more scripture reading and do more Christian-y type things and volunteer and teach more Sunday. Well, maybe teach more Sunday school, but all the rest of that stuff, that's not the point. The point is that we have deeper intimacy with Jesus and with each other. We have peace with ourselves. We have joy that goes beyond circumstances. That's a bit of that image of the freedom of movement that we can have, that we're moving towards. So as we're talking in this series about these disciplines, these things we can do in order to enjoy this greater freedom of movement, that's, that's where we're aiming. It's not so that we can be more, mm, I'm going to be more Christian. It's going to make life happy. I'm going to be more Christian. I'm just going to do this more and do that less. That's, no, you've met those people. Maybe you are those people. It doesn't work that way. Greater freedom of movement. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So in those areas where we're not experiencing freedom, Jesus is at work setting us free. That's what he wants for us. Obviously, there is a problem. There's a problem because it's not just that easy. You can't just say that, well, let's just be a community. Let's love each other. And then it just works, right? We have the little meet and greet time, not so much anymore, but but over the traditional services, we still kind of do that a bit, and, and we hope that that makes some connections, and maybe you've heard, but recent research shows the number one reason people don't want to come back to a church is because of the meet and greet time, right? <laughs> it's, it's not a bad thing. Obviously, it's not a bad thing. It's good for us to connect to one another. Many of us grew up in a tradition where that's just part of it, but the reality is we know that's not how community is formed. And even for somebody who has kind of a clear preference for extroversion, I hate those moments. Like, I just want to do anything else. Like, is this a moment I could get up and use the bathroom? This seems ideally suited for that kind of moment. I don't know you. We're not going to hang out. We're, you know, we're not going to see each other again. Why are we doing this? Obviously, we're doing the best we can when we have those moments. It's probably better than nothing. 
But there's a problem that keeps us from each other, and it's, it's basically this. It's fear. Ultimately, it's fear. Fear is the thing that keeps us from one another. Fear is the thing that keeps us from God. Fear is the thing that keeps us from being at peace with ourselves. Maybe the fear of being uncomfortable. The fear of what others think of us. The fear that we don't have what it takes. Maybe the fear that we're too broken. We've got too much baggage. We just, we've blown it too much. This fear that we'll miss out on one thing by committing to another. We have even a, 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 an acronym for this now, FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out, right? It's a thing. We have fear of missing out. That's why we always answer maybe. Hey, you want to come to this? Yeah, maybe. Something better might come up, so not so sure. Fear that God isn't as good as he says he is. That's a fear that is rarely a conscious thought. But it's always there right below the surface. And it always has been. Throughout human history, it's always been true. Every kind of fear. Fear is what keeps us from loving each other. Fear is the thing that keeps us from that greater freedom of movement. From even practicing the things that would bring greater freedom of movement. It's fear. This has always been true. A few weeks ago, Scott Dudley talked about this a little bit. I'll just hit on it a little bit again. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sin, when they break that relationship with God, it's not because of the fruit. They ate the fruit. That was a symbol of that. Ultimately, they got to a place where they decided God was holding out on them. So he must not be as good as he says he is. So we need to take this into our own hands and figure this out. Yes, God has said we could have all of this. All of this good stuff, all of this joy, all this freedom, all this peace, all of that stuff. But this one tree, he must be holding out on us. He can't be all that good if that's how he's dealing with us. So we got to take things into our own hands, and they do, and they eat the food, and they break relationship. And ever since that, every sin from every human being ever that has lived to this day and will ever live in the future is that same thing. Not sure that God is good enough. We've got to take things into our own hands. Not necessarily a conscious fear, but it's one that's always there. Maybe it's just a fear that will be misunderstood or rejected. Is there anything more painful than rejection? The answer is no. It's an awful, awful kind of feeling. Every kind of fear, you name it. Fear is what keeps us from loving each other in the kind of ways that would bring life, that would bring greater freedom of movement, that would make us the kind of people that God wants us to be. It's always been that way. That's why overcoming fear and loving each other sacrificially is actually the only way to remedy all of the damage that's been done by running away and hiding. As soon as Adam and Eve sin and they realize what they've done, the first thing they do is they hide from a God who can see everything. They run and they hide, and then they cover themselves up. Scripture says they used to be naked and unashamed. I don't know what it's like to be clothed and unashamed, but you know, I mean, like that would be just fantastic, right? But then this happens, and their first instinct is to hide and to cover up. I've got to cover up. If I'm seen for my true self, I, I won't be accepted. I'll be rejected. That's the fear that keeps going. To overcome this stuff, the damage done by that stuff, the hiding from each other, we've got to love as Jesus loved. That's why in 1 John, which, which Chris just read, it's really a, a letter all about love. And not the candy-hearted kind that we, we celebrated yesterday, but that love that demonstrates itself by giving itself away for others. 
sacrificially, radically. And God knows that fear always gets the best of us, and John knows that fear always gets the best of us. It's the thing that's hanging us up from loving one another in such a way that would embody the kingdom of God all the more. Revival absolutely comes through prayer, but I'm not convinced at all that God's going to bring more revival until we are more with and for each other. It's so, so important. Which is why John wants to clarify for his readers, his readers then and his readers now, that we have nothing to fear. He knows that we're afraid. That's what's keeping us apart. That's what's keeping the kingdom of God from being fully realized. So he says, do not fear. Obviously easier said than done. But then he makes a case for it. He says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that's not from God. Because we've been adopted. We're his children. And we know that even in an earthly sense, a very good earthly father is a very safe place for his kids to run. To go and ask for whatever they want. To, to be in relationship with him. To, be, uh, to have this playfulness, this back and forth. To just be able to sit and be with. That's, that's a good earthly father. Well, your perfect heavenly father... How much more does he love us? Does he care for us? Does he give us everything that we need? It's because of that love that we can have confidence, says John. Confidence. Confidence is simply that certainty that in the end, everything is going to work out. No matter what, everything is going to work out. It's not the kind of confidence you and I usually go for, like confidence in our, our clothes or our role or our network or whatever it is. It's, it's not that. It's confidence that we are completely accepted. In fact, and this is the stuff that kind of blows my mind, we were completely accepted before we even thought of God, before we even considered God at all. He made the first move toward us. In Romans, it talks about that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we got to a place where we're like really focused and I feel bad about myself and the things I've done and now I can receive what God's done for me. And No, before any of that, Jesus says, I want you. You're my kid. I love you. And because of that, you never have to fear anything again. In fact, fear now as a, as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, fear is really like that phantom pain that someone experiences when they lose a limb. You lose a limb, the nerves don't necessarily know any different. Something might still hurt, but it's not attached to a real concrete thing. It's phantom pain. That's what we experience when we experience fear, when we experience shame. It's not because it's rooted in something real that we need to be afraid of. It's not because it's rooted in something real that we should be ashamed of. It's rooted in a phantom pain. We're living in a broken world. John says again and again, we can have confidence. Confidence. We don't even have to worry about that. What would it be like to move through a day and not worry what someone else thought of you? I have no idea. It sounds pretty cool. To have that kind of freedom of movement that I would just give myself away, not worried about getting what I need. Am I going to get what I need? Am I going to have my needs met? I, I better be on that because, uh, you know, I'm not sure God's going to take care of that. What would it be like to be free of that? So I can just move in community with others. This is what God desires for us. Well, how do we practice that? We're just going to have one big idea, and we're going to take it and play with it for a little while. The idea is this. Just as God made the first move toward us, 
Now, because we are loved, because we are his kids, we get to make the first move. In fact, that's, that's all we're going to learn today. The idea that we make the first move. In fact, we're going to say it together. I make the first move. So say it with me. I make the first move. The kind of radical community that, that, that loves sacrificially, that inconveniences itself for one another, that shares its stuff with one another, is the kind where everyone has decided, I make the first move. It's on me. It's not on the pastors. It's not on the musicians. It's not on the folks who are volunteering. It's, it's on me. I make the first move. Which is scary, of course. It's terrifying because it's vulnerable. There's no clearer picture of vulnerability than when Jesus is on the cross, human flesh, dying. It's that kind of vulnerability. But that's the stuff that changes everything. God makes the first move, it changes everything. He's completely vulnerable, completely transparent, moves toward us, risks rejection, and it changes everything. The same is true for us. I make the first move. So as a community, we want that to become our mantra a bit. Wow, did you just mention like an Eastern idea and Western Protestant church? Don't worry about that. It's it's just a phrase, a thing that we could keep repeating in our minds. I make the first move. And in fact, there might be people in your life where you just have a sense of like, you need to make a move toward them. Someone you need to call, someone you need to reach out to, invite to lunch, someone you need to, you know, get invited to lunch with, something, I don't know how it works, but... God has made the first move, which means he's modeled for us and empowered us and set us free from the fear so that we can now make the first move toward one another. And it's making that first move, that, that habit of just moving toward one another that begins to shape us as a community. Begins to create those stories like, I didn't know this person, but, you know, we just took a little risk and now look what God is doing. We make the first move. Now, you might be wondering, well, if we all make the first move, like, do we all miss each other then? Like, who's receiving? Who's, how's that working? Well, you can imagine, like, on a playground, a bunch of kids in a big circle, circled up, arms extended, hand in hand. They're all joined up. If, if somebody says to them, now, everybody, take one step forward, are they further apart or closer? They're closer is the correct answer. Um, <laughs> it's an image of how that works. Each of us making the first move is exactly how we get closer together. It's taking that initiative. Now, I want to just be clear that for all of us, that might look a little bit different. It's one thing for us to say, maybe for myself to say, with kind of that preference toward extroversion, hey, I'm going to make the first move. I'm going to reach out to somebody. I'm going to connect with somebody. It's going to be easy. We're going to sit down and have a conversation. There's at least half the population for whom that is not a desire, and God made you that way. So don't be ashamed of that. But it might mean that you making the first move means reaching out through a letter, through prayer, through a group. It's not all going to look the same how how we make that first move. But we know it's going to be a first move when we kind of feel a little bit uncomfortable, when we're just a little bit outside of our comfort zone because we're moving toward one another. Jesus has made the first move. And in doing so, he's done away with fear. Any fear we experience, any shame we experience is not rooted in the concrete reality of who we are. No, we are now God's new creation, his kids. And so that stuff is phantom pain. Still scary, still hurts, we still feel it. But it no longer has any power to define us or to keep us from each other. So I make the first move. 
Because Jesus made the first move. He longs for us to have greater freedom of movement. His, his dream for us is not that we become better Christians. That is not his dream for us. His dream for us is to have greater freedom of movement. As we learn his word, as we pray, as we're practicing these disciplines, especially as we're making that first move toward each other, he knows that greater freedom of movement is coming. The kind where we get to play, enjoy. We're not worried. We're not fearful. God wants that for you. God has that for you. That is yours. That is yours as a child of God. Now we get the chance to practice, to live into that reality. So let's pray. Jesus, um, again, super easy to talk about, super hard to do, even for an extrovert. God, it's, it's, it's hard to make that first move. It's hard to move toward one another, period. Our default is to hide, to run, to cover up, to build masks, to build walls, or even to attack. God, that's, that's our natural instinct. Would you... Um, so shift the images in our mind that we would get a real clear idea of what it means to be loved by you, to be fully accepted by you, to be your kid. That out of that freedom, out of that confidence, we'd, we'd take those risks, those little risks, knowing it's all going to work out, it's all going to be fine. Not just because it's a good thing to do, but because as we do it, there is greater freedom of movement coming. Greater joy, greater peace, all that stuff that we're after, all that stuff we know we were made for, God. It's waiting, and you just say, come. Take a step forward. Take a half step forward. I'll meet you there. Thank you, God, for what you've done in making the first move. We are so, so grateful. We say thank you together in Jesus' name. Amen.